When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The first thing we want to feel when we step out from our homes and into the world is that we are safe. Particularly in busy London, there's a few extra factors to take into account when travelling around. Crossing the road always requires an extra check for a wayward bike or a speeding Uber driver, and even stepping off the tube requires you to... ...so you don't get squished. Wandering on the street, you have to be a little more focused just in case someone might be wanting to snatch your phone. But once you reach your destination, it becomes a sanctuary from the outside world. You should be away from all those external factors which could cause you harm. Or are you? You can't always be guaranteed safety. What if someone that had nefarious intentions abused that unspoken rule and followed you? Waiting for you to return to work where they could trap you alone and do their worst. Worse still, what if that person was completely unknown, never caught, and free to kill again, whenever they felt like it? Today on Macabre London, we uncover the murder of Emily Armstrong. London in the late 1940s was an exciting place to be. World War II had ended in 1945, rationing was easing off, and things were generally on the up and up. The Olympics were held in 1948, and a Labour government was in power, which meant things were getting better all round in terms of care for those who needed it. The National Health Service was established, which was to give free health care to anyone that needed it, and people were starting to return to some kind of normality after a tumultuous few years. However, some things were the same as they'd always been. People had their normal routines, worked their everyday jobs, and even though they were still recovering from the war, the banality of routine really helped. On Thursday the 14th of April 1949, Emily Armstrong, a 69-year-old widow, left her home in Mount Bell Road in Stanmore and made her way to work as usual. 
Emily had been widowed in 1942 and in her advancing years decided to move in with her son and daughter-in-law for company and to save money, something that was quite common before care homes were more prevalent. Emily was the manager at a dyer's and cleaner's shop at number 37 on the busy St John's Wood High Street in North London. Emily was elderly, frail and Liverpudlian with white hair and spectacles. She was known by others that worked in the area and who frequented her shop as a very pleasant and friendly little old lady. Emily had taken on the job at the dyers and cleaners shop when it was having a few troubles and her employers, Eastman's, valued Emily highly and despite her being old enough to have retired, she was a great asset to the shop and they noted that she turned the business around. The nature of the shop Emily worked for meant that she didn't actually have to do any hard graft, which was just as well given her age. The shop front on St John's Wood High Street, an affluent area of London which maintains its mega mansion status today, seriously, I used to work round there and some of the houses are absolutely amazing, served people from the local area and shipped off their designer togs elsewhere to be spruced up and returned before being collected again. At some point in the morning, while she was busy serving customers and labelling orders for collection, she noticed a man in the yard behind her shop. She quickly told him to get out, but he said the gate which opened onto the alleyway which ran down the side of the shop before opening into the yard was open. This didn't fly with Emily as she was fastidious when it came to locks. Her son would later note how many times she would check and recheck their own locks at home to make sure everything was secure so it was highly unlikely she'd forgotten to bolt the gate. She followed the stranger out and then bolted the gate behind him and returned to work inside the shop, continuing with customers. Just a quick note here, if anyone ever says to you that they're somewhere they shouldn't be because a gate, doorway or whatever access point is open that shouldn't be, that means they were still looking for a way into whatever restricted area they're in. It may be that they're genuinely lost, but if it's somewhere normally out of bounds, They know what they're doing, they're just annoyed you caught them, so 99.9% of the time, that's a big red flag. The day drifted on and in the early afternoon, a man went into the shop and argued with Emily over an order. As the shop outsourced its cleaning and dyeing, there would be occasions where items were lost or late, and so it's quite possible these types of conflicts came up regularly for poor old Mrs Armstrong. At 1.30, Emily stopped work and shut up shop, popping a few yards away to the Marigold Cafe to grab a bite to eat. Over lunch, she told the owner of the cafe about the strange man she'd found hanging around in the yard, and that she'd told him to leave, passing on the info so the owners of the Marigold could keep an eye out too, supposedly thinking that this man was up to no good. On a high street where everyone knew each other, any strangers would stick out like a sore thumb and a few others reported seeing the man that was in Emily's yard hanging around other areas of the high street, but figured he was just loitering. At around 1.50, just before Emily returned to the shop, a caretaker who worked on the street noticed the alleyway gate was open, and so he dutifully went out to shut it, but he didn't check the yard. At around 2pm after her lunch, Emily wandered back to start work again, unbeknownst to anyone, particularly Emily herself, this was the last time she would ever be seen alive. Emily's shop would often have quite a few customers after lunchtime, as they were passing by on their way back to their respective workplaces, and so would drop in their laundry or collect their items. 
And this particular day was no different. In fact, the queue was bigger due to this being the Thursday before Easter, when a big parade was about to be held. So the shop had been busier than usual. The weather had also been unseasonably warm, so even more people than usual were planning to make the most of the bank holiday weekend. In fact, Emily herself was looking forward to the Easter celebrations too, as she was a devout Roman Catholic. She'd recently purchased some Easter presents for her son and daughter-in-law, and was planning to attend church at St Joseph's in Wildston, and so this would be a great long weekend of celebrations ahead for her. Except she wouldn't live to see them. Customers arrived after lunch and waited patiently outside the closed shop, thinking that Mrs Armstrong was a little late coming back from her lunch. Perhaps she'd been caught up at the bank, or her order had been late at the cafe. The line began to grow, but Emily was nowhere to be seen. As more customers began to arrive and a small group formed, they began peering through the windows. The shop didn't look deserted. On the counter was placed haphazardly a pastel blue woolen twin set and an open order book. It looked like Emily had just nipped out, and so they continued to wait. As time ticked by and the shoppers began growing impatient, noses began pressing against the shop window peering in, looking longingly at their belongings hanging neatly on the rails. Tantalisingly close, but completely unobtainable. After a quick conflab, the bolder members of this group of strangers, brought together by nothing other than happenstance, decided to take matters into their own hands and to investigate. Now becoming agitated at their long wait, and some of the customers knowing Emily's age, They decided to investigate to see if she was perhaps taken ill somewhere out of sight. However, the impatient customers got more than they bargained for when they went to the back of the shop and discovered Emily lying in a pool of blood, lifeless. She'd been brutally beaten to the point of almost being unrecognisable. The police were called and before long, several cars arrived at the scene and Emily who was far beyond any kind of help by this point, was loaded into an ambulance to be taken away. Police guarded the shop overnight after the murder to stop anyone interfering with the scene, and perhaps hoping that the murderer may come back. They didn't. Officers began their investigation at the scene. The till had been completely emptied, but it's thought that there was only a small amount of takings inside. Emily's black leather handbag was also missing, but this equally didn't contain anything of much value. Her son confirmed it more than likely only had her glasses case, season ticket from Cannons Park, and her keys inside it. Nothing which was worth such a brutal murder. Police put out a description of the handbag so that if it was found, it would be easily recognised. 14 by 8 by 2 inches, black leather with a crisscross pattern upon it, rather worn and with a clip top. After a few days, the first piece of evidence was found which may help locate the killer, a brightly coloured floral handkerchief, the red piece of material which may have also been a neckerchief ripped in half, was found near the shop. This would have been fairly innocuous if it hadn't been for the fact it was covered in blood. There was also something else on it, which may have been the lead to solve the case. A laundry mark. 
Back when many people didn't do their own laundry, it was common for places to mark items so they could be returned to their rightful owners. Equally, boarding houses, hospitals, hotels, basically anywhere there was large amounts of people that needed communal items like towels, sheets, uniforms, etc. to be washed, would use a code so that all the items could be returned to the right place. The handkerchief bore the mark H-612. Publishing the description of the handkerchief and the laundry mark in the paper, the police hoped that someone may recognise it, but once again, they came up short when no one stepped forward. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. With any information... A week had passed since Emily had been murdered, and the police were still none the wiser as to who had done this to her. There was still a missing murder weapon, the list of suspects was non-existent, and all the authorities had to go on was a few scant eyewitness reports of customers that came and went from the shop that day. At the shop itself, police couldn't find any fingerprints, and suspected that the assailant had worn gloves to carry out the crime and so this was like finding a needle in a haystack. A 15-year-old boy who had been in the shop at around 12.15 was asked to speak to police, as was the man who argued with Emily earlier in the day. The man, expected to be about 30 years old, 5 foot 7, wearing a dark fawn mac, spoke quietly with a London accent and was acting nervously. When he was arguing with Emily, another customer who provided the description of this man said he left as soon as they went in. Perhaps he was the killer, but was frightened off by this interruption at a previous attempt. However, Emily didn't raise the alarm over him, and given her security-conscious mind, it's likely she thought this was just another standard argument over undergarments she'd probably had hundreds of times already that day. The customer that described the man did refer to him as being the chauffeur type. Now, this didn't mean he drove around other people, which was what I originally thought it meant. This was a polite term coined by the French to describe a grifter, a dodgy geezer, a bit of a scumbag. Not a particularly helpful term, but in St John's Wood, given how posh the place is, it's quite likely that anyone that wasn't from there was described in that way. So the haystack just grew a little bigger in which to find the proverbial needle. At Emily's post-mortem, it was concluded that she had been beaten 23 times around the head with an object most likely a claw hammer or a similar heavy blunt item. The coroner's inquest held three months later in June concluded that she was murdered by a person or persons unknown, 
and that she was most likely killed as a result of her about to scream. If Emily had screamed, then the robbery would have most definitely have been interrupted, and the assailant would have been caught. Sadly, Emily's life was worth less to the robber than the meagre takings they made off with. For a long time after Emily's murder, the police tried to solve the case. They looked at similar cases across the whole of the UK, looking to Ireland and also Bristol, where two similar murders had happened. However, taking what we know on face value of this being someone who was stealing small amounts of money, this would be quite an expensive thing to do, for not much reward. After all, travelling from London to Ireland would have cost a fair bit, and even for a drifter, that wouldn't make much sense. Police looked closer to home and fingerprinted a whole building site full of men that were working close by, an almost pointless exercise given that the murderer left behind no fingerprints. There was also a lineup held at Brixton Prison in which those that witnessed the strange man hanging around on the high street that day were invited along, but none of those selected were positively identified. By 1952, an escaped patient from Broadmoor Psychiatric Hospital, a high-security facility for those with mental illness, which was much more like a prison back in those days, was captured after being on the run. John Allen also dubbed the Mad Parson on account of him escaping Broadmoor dressed as a priest, was at large during the time of Emily's murder. But given that he was convicted of murdering a child, it didn't match up that he would murder an old lady. Clutching at straws, the police brought him in for a lineup, but again, the witnesses couldn't positively identify him. After all, this was a few years down the line, and the memory of a man you saw fleetingly in the street were probably faded, if not completely dissolved by this point. The most plausible connection I can find is to another unsolved murder, which happened just a ten-minute walk away from where Emily was killed in March of the same year. 75-year-old Kathleen Higgins was found strangled and assaulted in a state of undress in the grounds of Winfield House, which nowadays is the residence of the Ambassador of the United States to the United Kingdom, but back then had just been vacated by the Royal Air Force after the war and was now in the process of being sold to the US Embassy. The grounds of Winfield were, and still are, vast. It's the second largest private garden in the whole of London, next to Buckingham Palace, and back in the 1940s, before it became a US government building, and as such, equally secure as Fort Knox, it was very easy to get into by going through a few secret paths in Regent's Park. Witnesses saw a man who was similar in description to Emily's alleged murderer taking Kathleen into the woods, and more importantly, he was wearing a tan-coloured Macintosh. Kathleen, who was known in the local area as a bit of a character, worked during the day, but at night, her hobby was drinking. Kathleen was spotted after having consumed at least eight drinks, including Guinness, Scotch and gin, wobbling around, trying to cross the road near a set of traffic lights for several minutes. Her killer was clearly watching Kathleen in her inebriated state, and then decided to take advantage of her, taking her into the grounds of Winfield House, where he carried out his crimes. The man who murdered Kathleen 
also made off with her purse and any money she may have had on her. During the day, she'd been paid and then also collected her pension before heading out to the pub. Even though she'd had quite a lot to drink, London prices weren't the same back then as they are today, so she would have still had the majority of her money left. So the murderer would have ended up with a reasonable amount of money, but not worthy of murder. It may be that both the murder of Emily and Kathleen may not have anything to do with each other, but the way the cases were treated definitely shines a light on the view of elderly women back in the 1940s. Both of these cases were investigated, and it seems like the police force did try to do their best, but equally, I can't help but feel that more would have been done if these were younger women. The internal biases that must have sneaked out from inspectors working on the case that meant looking for someone who killed old ladies wasn't a huge priority. When another woman, 35-year-old Gladys Hanrahan, was murdered in the same area of London in Regent's Park three years earlier, officers contacted over 2,500 laundry houses to track down a piece of laundry-marked evidence. This approach didn't yield any results, but still, the option was there. Gladys's murder didn't look like a robbery, which is why I don't think it's linked, but it just goes to show it was possible to do that, so why didn't this happen with Emily's case? Is it because it was the view of the police that she was an old lady, so it didn't really matter if she died? Did they pull their resources into other crimes and not into this one because they felt it was a better use of resources? Who knows? Emily, Kathleen and Gladys's murders still all remain unsolved to this day, and over time, cold cases have a tendency to turn to ice and become less and less likely to be solved, so I doubt we'll ever know who the killer was. All I do know is that if they were still around today, they'd be 102, so probably not a threat. But never underestimate someone who is hell-bent on murder. Thank you for joining me for that episode of Macabre London. I hope you enjoyed that one. I found out about Emily's story when I was researching the Thomas Atherston murder. You remember the one, the failed actor who was found dead in his ex-girlfriend's garden. As his murder was also unsolved like Emily's, then they both appeared when I was searching unsolved murders in London, and I just felt so sad for Emily that I had to tell her story. As far as I know, this one was close to being lost to time as there really isn't much information about it out there so I felt it was really important to keep her memory alive. I just really wish there had been more biographical info reported about her at the time as there really doesn't seem to have been much put in the papers and I'd love to know more about the kind of character that she was. As usual, I'd love to know your thoughts on this case so please leave me a comment on YouTube or pop onto my social media if you're listening to the podcast. If you are new here, it seems a bit late in the day to introduce myself, but hi, I'm Nikki. And if you enjoyed this today, then please hit the subscribe button and join our merry little band of ghouls on YouTube. Or hit follow on your podcast provider so you'll automatically get my new episodes when they come out. If that's not enough for you and you still want more of what I make, then why not come over and join my Patreon where you get an additional episode a month of weird things I find in old newspapers. 
And if you want to know what those episodes are like, I put one of those up on my channel a few weeks back, so you can check that out if you'd like to. Patrons also get exclusive tangible goodies sent through the post, and there's about to be some really exciting items sent out soon, so if you want in on that, I'll leave the link in the description for you to check that out. It really helps me when it comes to finding hidden stories like today's one that is unsurprisingly most old information is kept behind a paywall, so donations like that really help me to keep producing the show. And there's also a new thing on YouTube now called the thanks button, which if you press that, it allows you to leave a tip of your choice. So if you fancy contributing to my obsession with matcha lattes, which basically fuel the whole of the writing process for Macabre London, then I'd love you forever. Huge, huge thanks if you even think for a second about doing any of those things, because it massively helps more than you know. As always, a huge big shout out to our executive Patreon producers, Barry, Sam, Sarah, Kate, Veronica, Mary, and all of our other patrons too. Thank you for joining me for another macabre tale from London's past. I've been Nikki Druce, and I'll see you ghouls next time. I've lost a nail. I broke this one, and it was really sore, and I couldn't have it put back on, so I've got all the other ones, not this one. Anyway, I'm going now. Bye! Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.